Well, God is good. And all the time, God is good. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the fact that you are a good God. I thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we have this morning to meet together to open your word, to hear what you would have to say. I pray, Father, that it will rest upon our hearts, uh, Father, that we will understand what it is that we need to do to go out and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have a, a Bible and uh, something online or your phone, whatever that may be, uh, go ahead and find Matthew chapter 13. We'll look at verses 31 and 32 this morning. Again, welcome and welcome to those that uh, are joining us online. Glad to have you with us. If you're uh, if you've not been able to be here uh, last week or you weren't able to go back and, and listen online, uh, we started a 16-week series of messages called The Great Storyteller. And we, we learned this lesson that stories can change hearts. We looked at the parable of the weeds and the wheat as John read for us this morning. No content may or may not change our minds, but stories always seem to have an impact on our hearts. And so it produces a lot of life change in us. Last week we looked at the parable of the weeds and the wheat and what it meant for us to, to grow as, as a Christian and the things that we needed to do. I received a message from someone that said they, they'd never been taught that parable before and, and uh, what it meant to them. And, and I hope that throughout this series, everyone will, will learn something maybe a little bit different from some of these parables that we're going to look at and maybe be challenged even to live in a, in a little bit different way. Now, remember, as I said last week, a parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson as told by Jesus. And today we're going to look at one of Jesus' shortest stories that uh, he ever told. Uh, it, it is two verses. It is 42 words long. It's very, very short story. But it packs a, a very powerful punch, I believe. Because it, it's going to talk about this one word right here. And it's the word expectation. Expectations. Now you know that expectations are a very dangerous thing. And they can either set you up uh, for, for success or it can set you up for great disappointment. Now, what we have heard, you know, about something or maybe experiences don't always live up to our expectations. In a similar way, when it comes to our, our faith, our experience doesn't always meet our expectations. When it comes to life with God, sometimes what you expect life to be like and what it actually ends up being like often don't, don't meet. They don't come together. They often don't match up. And so what Jesus is going to do through this very short two-verse, 42-word parable today is that, in effect, is going to push and reset on some of our expectations, all right? So this is so important to us because if we don't have proper expectations, then we, we kind of run the risk 
of missing out on God and maybe even missing him completely and certainly missing out on what he has for us in our life, what he wants to do for us in our lives. So let's jump into Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 and 32. Here's what it says. Here's another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. Now, when, when Jesus first told this to his audience, it, it doesn't say that, that he gives any explanation of it. Basically, it, it's telling us that he said it and walked away. And we're all like, that is so confusing, right? To just, to just kind of say that and, and, and walk away. Jesus' audience, however, they, they wouldn't have been as confused as maybe, maybe we are. The light bulb moments would have, would have kind of gone off in their head and they would have kind of started connecting the dots a little bit. And, and the reason is not doing the same for you right now. The reason it kind of is a little confusing for us is because maybe you don't know about the mustard seed. But fear not. I am here to educate you on the almighty mustard seed. Most scholars believe that the mustard seed Jesus is referencing here is specifically the Mediterranean mustard, which is called the black mustard. The mustard seed Jesus is referencing is the Mediterranean mustard that is also called the black mustard. The proper botanical term for this would be the Bresca nigra. Bresca nigra. Y'all didn't know I was about to go botanical on you, did you? You come to church and you get botany lessons. The Bresca nigra. Now, this was a very common plant for all people in the, in the Middle East. They recognize it. You see, this plant, they, they covered their countrysides and it covered, covered the hillsides. Everywhere they'd go, basically, they would, they would see this. They were very, very familiar with it. Uh, so when Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a, a mustard seed, they would have been like, okay, yeah, I, I get that. I know what that is. We've seen it. And the light bulb moments would have gone off in their heads. So, so like, for instance, the very first thing they would have thought of when you think of what Jesus is trying to, to teach me here is simply this. It's pretty simple for them. The life with God often starts smaller. Life with God often starts smaller than you'd ever expect it to. So when Jesus said the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds, my man wasn't kidding, all right? The, this thing is tiny. Go ahead and put up that picture, uh, these couple pictures. This is the mustard seed. Many of you have seen mustard seeds, all right? Give it up for our, our beautiful hand model here, right? Looks good. Go ahead and put the next one on. Little bitty, tiny, tiny mustard seeds. It's so small. It's so tiny that if you looked away for a second and, and the wind blew or, or you dropped it, it'd be hard to find. Almost impossible maybe to find. It'd roll right out of your hand and you wouldn't even maybe know it. And then you'd go looking for it and the seed would hit the ground and it'd be, it'd be lost. It's so, so tiny. And Jesus said that life with God is like this. 
It starts out smaller than you would, would ever expect because God is a God of small beginnings. And he's proved this to us all throughout Scripture. I mean, just go back to, to Jesus for a second, all right? Let's just look at Jesus for a second. Jesus, the, the Savior of the world, God in the flesh, he, he enters the world not through uh, any uh, big grand entrance, right? Uh, no, he was born where? Yeah, he was born in a, in, a, in a mansion? No, he was born in a stable, in a barn. He was born to a, to a nobody family in a nobody town. And the king of the world, the savior of the world. But born not in a palace. No big social media campaign to announce his birth like hashtag savior is born, right? Wasn't there. Nothing like that. Nobody knows He's born and God sends angels to announce the, the birth of, of the Almighty, the Messiah, the King. And where does he send the angels? To the palace? No. To the most important people in the world? No. To a field, to the lowly bunch of shepherds. And he says, shepherds, wake up. The Messiah's here. You need to go find him. God's a God of small beginnings. You go back to the Old Testament, go back to the greatest king that Israel ever had. The greatest king Israel ever had, the greatest earthly king, King David, he's what? The runt of the family, right? He's the little guy, he's the runt of the family. God told the prophet Samuel to go to the town to find Jesse, this guy who, who had all these sons. He told him, go find Jesse and said, hey, one of, one of his sons is, is going to be the next king. And I want you to go there to his house and, and pick the next king. I will let you know which one it's going to be. And he walks in and he says, hey, Jesse, one of your sons is about to be the king. So bring them all in here and, and let me see them. And Jesse gathers them all up. He lines them up by, in order by the ones he thinks is, is, should be the next king, right? He lines them all up and, and Samuel goes one by one and, and he says, no, not him, not him, not him, not no, not him, not him. And gets to the end of the line and, and he looks at him and he says, do you have any more? Uh, do you have any more kids? Because they're not here. This isn't it. The king is not standing in this line. He's like, well, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I've got one more son, but he's out doing chores. He's just the, the little guy. He's the run of the family. He's out back doing things. And God's not going to want to use him. Samuel said, bring him in here. And David comes in and Samuel says, that's him. That's the man. That's my chosen king. The runt of the family. You see, God's a God of small beginnings. He works in ways you'd never expect. Works in ways that, that we'd never expect. And he starts, to, he starts so much smaller than you would ever anticipate him starting and that's no different than what we would expect are so different than what we would expect like our expectations would be that that God would go big right I mean God would go big after all it's God you think he'd go like like grand entrance WWE pyro fire music the whole thing right he'd go he'd go big God is here I'm here. Here I am. My name's in lights. 
You know, maybe you're here today or watching online and you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're, maybe you're checking things out or you're, you're a little maybe even skeptical about some of these things. You, you're not quite sure what you believe or, or what you don't believe. Maybe you've had a, the thought uh, in your head like, uh, I would follow God if I, I had a sign. Right? I, I hear that a lot from, from certain people. If I had a sign, if I just had a sign from God, then, then I'd believe and I could follow. Like if he made it really, really obvious, I'd believe in him. I'd need a sign or a miraculous wonder or, or something like that. But you need to have your expectations reset because that's not how God works. <laughs> what I've found is that God oftentimes does not send us a sign. You see, God, God often sends us a neighbor, or God will send us a, a co-worker. God doesn't send us very often a miraculous sign, a miraculous wonder to prove his existence to you. He normally just sends you a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, maybe even a stranger, and you think them? This person who keeps talking to me about God, this, this person who keeps talking to me about Jesus, this, this person who, who keeps inviting me to church like them? Yeah, like them, because they're actually on a, on a divine appointment in your life to love you the way Jesus loved you. God has assigned you to them to show you what a, a real Christian looks like, not what you thought of in the past. And to get, to, get, to, get you to get to church so that you can hear a, a life-changing message to get you to God. God has them on divine appointment in your life. Many of you know what I'm talking about. Many of you have had people in your life that have come and led you to Christ. And it's because of those people that you are here today. You see, you... You need to look again. You need to take a closer look at what, what God's doing in your life because he's trying to get your attention. He's always trying to get our attention, but he's using very small things to do that. So, and sometimes maybe we're not even looking for them. And, and I know that some of you, like, you're a, maybe a logical thinker in the room today or, or watching online, and you're probably thinking, okay, well, wait a minute, just Just wait. If God wants to get a hold of me, and, and, and you know, if God loves me so much, and, and God wants a relationship with me, and God wants me to, to believe in him, then why doesn't he just make it a little bit more obvious? Why is he starting so small? Why doesn't he, why doesn't he just make it obvious? Well, I think God would, would probably respond by, by saying, well, I, I actually have made it pretty obvious. You see, Romans chapter 1 actually tells us that you can just look at the creation uh, of the world around you and, and what is there, right? See, the problem is not that, that God has not made himself obvious. The problem is not that God is using too small of, of something to get to you. The problem is that, that we're not even looking for what it is God is showing us. Most of us go through our lives and our, 
our head is so down and we're so focused on the on the day-to-day things the the day-to-day activities we're so focused on the the paycheck we're so focused on uh, our intim- our immediate uh, troubles and our immediate concerns that we don't even stop we don't even spend time looking for him and in this whole parable this very short parable just this little detail in the parable about the size of the mustard seed actually proves to us this truth about who God is. And it's a very interesting truth that God is someone who actually wants to be sought after. God actually wants you to seek him out. He wants you to seek him out. God wants you to proactively search for him, to find him. And then once, if you'll start that process, once you start seeking him out, he is pleased to reveal himself to you. Now, don't get confused. This is not a cosmic game of of where's Waldo, all right? You start looking for God and you take a small step, he's well pleased to reveal himself to you. Look at Jeremiah 29, 13 puts it like this it says you will seek me and find me I love that it's it's not you'll seek and and maybe find me or you'll seek and then you'll you'll probably find me no it's a it's a guarantee you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart see when you come before God and you say God I I don't know everything and, and my life is it's not cleaned up. My life is it's not perfect. But in my heart of hearts, I, I want to know you, God. I want to know who you are. I want to know that you're real. I'm telling you that that's where you just have to take a little small step. Take that small step. This is where so many people who are, who are far from God, or maybe you wouldn't consider your, yourself to, uh, to be a Christian, you get tripped up a little bit. Because you think, if, I, if, I'm where, if I were to start believing, if I were to start believing in God and, and start following him, I would have to memorize the whole Bible. I'd have to clean up all this junk in my life. I'd have to do all these big, massive changes. And then then I could start following God. Then I would find God. That's not how it works. If you'll just come to him with sincerity of heart and say, God, I I don't know, I don't know how much, and I don't know, and I know my life's a, a mess. But if you're real, I want to know you. And I want to find you. You come to him and in sincerity of heart, you start seeking him, you will find him. You'll take a small step to start looking for him. And he will, he will produce dynamic change in your life. And that's where the real power in this parable comes in. If you pray and say, God, I want to know you. If you start taking steps to read the Bible every day, 
or getting involved in a, in a ministry team. You start taking these, these small steps to read, to be involved. You start taking these small steps. You have dynamic potential to change your life. And that's where real light bulb moments happen. They go off for people. Because, yes, this tiny seed, that tiny seed starts off small, but it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. See, the real light bulb moment for them, for the people Jesus was talking about, would have been this. That when life with God starts smaller than you'd ever expect, it can actually grow into something bigger than you'd ever imagine. Go back to our botany lesson for a second, the Bresca Nigra. I love that word. It's so cool to say, right? Bresca Nigra. It can grow up to 15 feet tall. You talk about a plant that smart, uh, starts small. This little bitty seed grows, can grow into a plant that becomes 15 feet tall. And in fact, it would grow so close together that sometimes it would create like a, a thicket that's nearly uh, impossible to penetrate. This small, tiny, tiny seed that's just uh, held in, in the tip of your finger. You can barely see it. That small, tiny seed grows into something bigger and stronger than you could ever imagine. And that's what life with God is like. Some of you have been following Jesus for a few years. you got some years behind you, some of you. You've probably had this experience before when you, when you come up to, to something difficult. You come up to a temptation in, in your life. You come up to a struggle in your life. And then you realize, wow, I'm, I'm stronger than I used to be. I handle this a little bit better. What's happening to me? You face that temptation, you're thinking, if I'd, if I'd faced this temptation five years ago, I'd have given in. It would have broke me down. If my marriage faced this 10 years ago, we'd have been in therapy. But oh my goodness, we're, we're doing okay, we're, we're fine. I had this moment, had this moment several months ago when I was sitting in a parking lot. And I was thinking about all that was happening in my life. I was thinking about the age of my, my kids and our relationships and, and how I'm trying to, to be the best dad that I can be to uh, my adult children. And that can be tough sometimes be, because they're adults and they have their own opinions and, and way of doing things. And I, I was thinking about my granddaughters and how, how Lucy, before we know it, would be crawling and, and walking and talking. And how Shelby just wants to play nonstop with Papaw. And it's so energizing and special, and yet it's so daggone exhausting. But I'm trying to do everything I, I can to be the best Papaw that I can be. I want them to, to understand how much I love them and how much God loves them and I want to be around to see them grow up and, and develop relationships with God and then I was thinking about 
my wife and, and how much I love her and I want to be the best husband I can be as we walk through this crazy uh, world together and, and face the stresses and the ups and downs of, of life together. And then I was thinking about the church and all that God's doing here and all the ways that, that he's growing us, the changes that have been made, the, the progress that has happened, the way that the way that God is moving and, and we're trying to keep up with what he's doing and, and getting people in, involved in spots. There's just so much going on in my life, so, thing, so many things happening that, that uh, I'm trying to, trying to figure it all out. And then I had this moment when I, when I looked at myself in the rearview mirror and I'm like, there's so much going on, so much, so much happening, uh, so much to handle. But you know what? I'm okay. God's got me. You see, folks, God's growing us. He's maturing us. He's giving us capacity to handle things that we weren't able to handle in the past. Now, I want to be very careful because I want you to know that experience, if you've, if you've ever had it, that is the exception, not the norm. The exception is when you look at yourself and you realize, my goodness, God's growing me. I'm getting stronger. I can't believe it. I, I, I'm doing all right. That's the exception. The norm is the struggle, and the struggle is real. It is very real. See, the vast majority of us are struggling. Some are struggling in our in marriages. The vast majority of, of people are, are struggling to, to parent. The vast majority of, of our single folks are struggling to live faithful, God-honoring lives in, in the midst of a culture that tells them to live another way. The vast majority of us uh, struggle sometimes to, to be generous. The vast majority of us sometimes are struggling to, to love people in our lives the way that, that Jesus wants us to love them. Most of us are in a mode of struggle at some point all the time, and this is an instance of when, a, when and again, when we expect it to happen, maybe it's not actually happening. Like our expectations don't match our experience, and it creates a bit of confusion for us. Because Jesus says it starts small, but then it grows, and it grows into something bigger than you'd ever imagine and stronger than you'd ever imagine. And you're probably still there, sitting there thinking, okay, but I don't, I don't feel big, I don't feel strong, I, I feel weak. Talked with somebody this past week who said, I, I just feel weak. I feel like I'm struggling more than ever. I don't feel like that. I don't feel like I'm strong enough to handle things. Some of you have been baptized. You, you probably remember that moment that, that you came up out of that water and, and you're like soaking wet, and, but your hands are, are raised in the air and, and you're happy and you're like, I'm, I'm going to conquer uh, the world. There's no feeling like that. It's incredible when you come up out of that water and you know that you're a new person and that you just gave to God all that past, all that ugliness, all that sin. And then you hear verses like Philippians 4.13, for I can do everything through Christ who, who gives me strength. You're like, all right, I, I can do this. 
You hear Romans 8, 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then you get down until you're weak. And you're like, maybe I can't do this. This is way harder than I ever thought it was going to be. This life that I'm leading, it's just, it's just rough. It's hard. And, and we think that because we're struggling, we must be doing something wrong. And this is where the brilliance of Jesus, again, two verses, 42 words comes into play because he knew exactly what he was doing when he used this plant as an illustration. Just go back to botany for a second, okay? Think about, think about how a plant grows. A plant cannot grow without struggling. The very growth of a plant proves the spiritual principle that the path to strength is always the, the path of resistance. The very way that God created plants to grow proves that spiritual truth, that the path to strength is always the path of resistance. Think about that, right? The seed must be buried, okay? You got to put the seed in the ground. It must be buried. And then with the proper nutrients and, and the proper soil, it starts to grow. And what happens when it starts to grow? Its roots go out. And its roots start to go where? Down into the ground, right? Even farther. Pushing against the dirt. Pushing against the grain. Pushing against the rock. Pushing against what's already there. It's the path of resistance. Then think about even once it's up, out of the ground, once you start seeing it, 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 it faces the, the scorching sun. It has to withstand the, the wind blowing back and forth, the rainstorms. You see, Jesus wants to tell somebody today that if you're struggling, it doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. If you're struggling, it actually means you're growing. Because if you're not struggling, you're not growing. So if you're out there like, I feel weak, I feel like I just can't do it anymore. God's at work in your life, whether you realize it or not. Go back to how God created our bodies. Think about our, our muscles for a second. How do you get ripped, right? How do you get ripped? How do you get strong? How do you get to look like those guys on the covers of the muscle magazines, right? Rusty, how do you get ripped? You got to work at it, right? Yeah. You got to lift. You got to work at it. You got to develop. You got to do things. How do you get those huge biceps that you're, you're trying for? What do you do? You work them out. You put them through resistance. You put them through resistance. You, you, you tear those muscles down, and then you get to the point uh, you get to the point where you don't feel like you can lift another thing, that it's just, there's no way you can get it up. And then what happens? God rebuilds, and, and, and he forges you into something that is stronger, something that is bigger than before, and then you can lift just a little bit more. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 would put it like this. When he says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For that you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has, to, has a chance to grow. So let it grow. 
For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. When you face a trial of any kind, when you face resistance, when you face temptation, any kind of struggle, you should consider it pure joy because God is doing something in you. He's developing endurance. He's developing perseverance in you. And when endurance and perseverance are, are fully completed and they're fully mature, you don't lack a thing. See, God's doing something through your struggle. God's growing you. I've shared some of my story with you before about how off and on throughout my life I've had struggles, I've had times in my life where uh, I felt weak, when I, when I didn't know how things were, were going to get any better, how, what, what, what was going to happen. But a few months ago when I was sitting in that parking lot, thinking about all the things going on in my life, yes, I was, I was feeling heavy. And, and yeah, I, I didn't feel right. But I, I have a different hope in the midst of it than I did years ago. Because I just knew that this struggle is no reason to doubt what God can do. I had every reason in the world to be confident in God because my struggles are proof that I'm growing and that God's going to grow through me. Or that I'm going to go, uh, grow through God. I'm here to tell somebody today, if you're struggling, it's not going to be this hard forever. Trust me. I've been there. God has got me through it. It's not going to be this hard forever. It's not going to be this heavy forever. There was a time in my life when everything was just heavy. I mean, I couldn't, couldn't lift anything else. It's not going to be this bad forever, and God's going to carry you through it. You see, he's doing something in you. You need to have the, the proper perspective of what God wants to do in you. And when you have that perspective, when you know that the strength is, is on the way, strength is coming, he's letting you go through this for a greater purpose. Now, we could stop there, and we could go home, call it a day, but that would actually not be doing the parable any justice. Because, yes, the life with God starts small, smaller than you'd, than you'd expect. It can grow into something bigger than you'd ever imagine. But that actually wouldn't complete the parable. Because Jesus adds a, a little bit more detail that he drops in there, and we can't go without talking about. Go back to verse 32. I, I don't believe it's going to be on the screen, but back, back to 32 uh, with me for a second. Because this is a, a very curious uh, line that he uses he said, life with God, uh, all right, starts small, right? Like a mustard seed. And it grows into the, the largest garden plant. And then he says this. It grows into a tree. And birds come and make nests in its branches. Now that's a very curious thing to say because it's not entirely normal. You see, in fact, scholars have debated Jesus' use of the word tree here. Because there actually is no such thing as a mustard tree. There's a mustard plant. And sometimes these mustard plants grow so tall, so strong, 
that they become like a tree. In fact, many of them grow so tall and so strong that they actually fool birds into making nests in their branches because they think it's a tree. But that's not a normal common occurrence uh, for a mustard plant. It's almost as if Jesus was trying to get us to see that there's something else going on here. There, there's, there's some other ingredient. And, and to me, it's so curious that the last little bit that birds come and make nests, nests in its branches. Now, up to this point in the story, it's been all about the seed, right? Been all about the mustard seed, uh, this small seed. It gets planted, it, it grows, it's, it's all about the seed. Then all of a sudden, we bring in something else, and it's like, wait a minute. No, 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 this, this has nothing to do with the tree. We're, we're talking about birds now, and, and we're talking about something outside of the tree that, uh, that is being benefited from the tree. That's the light bulb moment that people would have been really pressing through when Jesus tells the story. Life with God often starts smaller than you'd ever imagine, but it can grow into something bigger than you'd ever imagine, but only if it's not about you. But only if it's not about you. It's kind of the secret sauce. It's like the, the secret ingredient to following Jesus. That if you want to reach full maturity and really become the, the man or, or the woman of God that, that God created you to be, you have to cross this point where you realize that it's not about you. It's not about you. You, you, you have to come to this place where you realize that it's not about you and it's a difficult place. This is a process of growth that every follower of, of Jesus goes through. See, you start off and it's small and, and God gets a hold of you and gets a hold of your life and you're thinking, I, I can't believe I'm here actually. I can't believe I'm, I'm sitting in the church. I can't believe I, I've been coming to church. I mean, some of you who are at church right now or some of you that, that are watching online right now, you're just thinking there are friends of mine who would never believe that I'm sitting in a church. They never believe where I'm at in my life. You can't believe God's, God's got you here. And he saved you. And he's rescued you. And it's so incredible. And, and then you move to this next phase where you start, you start growing. You start growing and you're so hungry for the word. You're, you're reading the Bible, right? You're, you're reading the Bible. You got your Bible apps. You're praying. You're, you're in a group of some sort. You're, you're consumed. And you're listening to sermons throughout the week. You're, you're tuning in and, and you're in this growth process. And, and you're just loving life and you feel like you've got so much to grow and so much to change and and. You're just loving it. But then what happens to every single one of us is we hit a wall. We hit a point where it just doesn't seem like we're growing. It just doesn't seem like the same passion and the same fervor that we had before is there. And it just feels like we're kind of stunted in our growth. I've experienced it. And what I've seen myself do and what I've seen other people do is typically blame everyone but ourselves, right? We say, well, it's probably the group I'm in. I'm just not growing in that group. It, you know, I just haven't, uh, I don't feel it 
You know, these people aren't challenging me to, to grow, and, and I need to get into a different group. Or, or you think about it, it's probably where I'm serving. It's, it's my serving team. It's my ministry team. I, I, it's not really like fitting my gifts perfectly, and, and so I need to find a different serving team. Or, or we can blame the church, like, well, the church isn't doing what it, what it should be doing. The church isn't doing what it should be doing. It, it should be doing something different, and, and that's why I'm not growing. And there may be some truth in all of those. Maybe, but that, that's not what Jesus is suggesting here. Jesus is suggesting that there's a switch that you have to flip. You have to turn on that switch. There's a point that you have to change your perspective uh, to realize that it's not about you. And when you can make that switch, when you can go from, yes, this has been all about me. Jesus saved me, but you've come to this place where you understand that you are saved from something. Yes, he saved you from your sins. He saved you from a, a life without him. But he saved you for something. He sets you apart for a purpose. And until you get to this place where you can say, God, it's not about me, but it's about what you can do through me, until you can get to that point, we won't reach that full potential of who God created us to be. It's not about you. It's about what God can do through you. And when you get to that point, oh, if you can flip that switch, everything changes. Everything changes. You want to you talk about change? You'll go to work different. Doesn't matter how miserable your job is, you'll go to work different. Because it doesn't matter what the work of, uh, of your hands is, is actually doing, you'll, you'll have people there who need to know about Jesus, and you'll realize that, that that's your job. And you'll go to work different. You'll go to work ready to evangelize with your mission right there in your workplace. It'll change the way you come to church. You see, when you come to church and it's not about you, you'll worship different. You'll do things a little bit differently. It won't be about everybody else. When all week long you've been sitting there and, and God's been using you and you've been realizing it's, it's not about you and you've been seeing him work in, in your life, when you've been seeing him work at your place of business, when you've been seeing him work in your home, work in your neighborhood, work in your, your marriage, you've been seeing him move, you'll come in and worship him a little bit differently. You'll listen to the sermon different. You'll go to your groups different. You'll go to your groups looking to contribute rather than consume. Oh, it's all about me. It's all about my ideas. It's all about what I want us to do. I'm just telling you, if you can get to this place where you say, God, I'm sorry that I've made it all about my life, all about me. But from now on, God, it's not about me. It's about what you can do through me. That will change everything. And I, I just feel like for the se uh, season that we're getting ready to enter into, as a church, we need to go there. We need to make a commitment that says it's not going to be about me. You want to talk about how you win the lost? 
Want to talk about how you change a town? It's about a bunch of us standing up together and declaring with, with our mouths and then proving it with our lives. It's not about me. It's about what God can do through me. That is how the town of North Salem changes. God has called us in the small town of North Salem to be his mustard seed. To not make it about us, but to make it about him and what he can do through us. Let me ask you this. How many people did you invite to come to church with you today? Don't raise your hand. Don't shout it out. Think about that. How many people did you invite to come to church with you today? Five? Good place to start. Can you imagine if, if we all invited five people to come to church with us and, and all five came? Four? Still a good number. Three, two, one. Invite somebody to come, right? I mean, how many people do you come in contact with all week long? People that you know do not go to church. People that you know do not have a church home. People that you know need to be in church to know more about Jesus. I'm sure the people we come in contact with during the week, there's at least one that you should be inviting to church. How many did you invite to church to come with you today? Zero? You see, God says, it's not about me. It's about what he can do through me. And through me, he can invite people to church. Through me, he can bring people in. Through me, he can show other people his words. Through all of us. God can make things happen. God can make things happen. You see, I think a lot of times in churches, especially town churches and churches in smaller, you know, country churches, things like that, they'll have 10, 15 people worshiping with them on a Sunday morning. And I think that's great. You know, we got, we have 15 today. Normally we got, you know, eight or nine in our little country church. And so they're, they're happy about that. Maybe here we're like, we had 50 today. We had 60, 70, 80 today. We're like, that's great numbers. But think about what it could have been if we'd have did what God tells us to do and invited one person to church. All 64 people here today would invite one person to church. 65, sorry, 65 people would invite one person to church and at least half of those came, 32 people, and then the next week, those 32 invite one person to come to church. See, people, uh, a lot of times I think in churches, we feel like, all right, this is good. You know, I've heard, I've heard people say in churches that, well, we don't want to grow any bigger. We don't want to get any bigger. Well, we need to be, you know, we're happy the way we are. We don't want to be a, a, a big, huge church. We don't want to grow any bigger. And when I hear that, I think, you mean 
you don't want to do what Jesus told you to do and go invite somebody into church. Go and share the good news with all the world. That's what he said. So if you don't want to get any bigger, then yeah, keep doing what you're doing. And folks, it's not about numbers, but it's about bringing people in and it's about getting them in so that they can hear the word of God. And it just starts with that tiny little person, us, in a tiny little town, North Salem, to go out and grow it bigger and bigger and bigger. Just like that plant. Perhaps you're here today or you're watching online. There's a decision you need to make. Maybe, maybe you've been struggling. And maybe you've come to the conclusion that I need to give it to God. I need to do what it is God wants me to do. Maybe you just need to share something that's on your heart, a testimony. Maybe you need to share a prayer, something good that's happening or something bad that's happening, whatever the case may be. Maybe you want to become a member here at North Salem. Maybe you want to say, I need to be baptized. I need to give my life to Christ. I need to do the things that he wants me to do. And so I need to be buried into the waters of baptism and come up a new person. Maybe that's you today. Maybe, maybe you just need some time to come and reflect whatever the case may be we're going to give you that opportunity you know each week we offer an invitation and i'll be honest with you i i, I see people I, I look you know as we're singing I, I scan the crowd and and i see reactions and when you've been doing this over 30 years like i've done you can you can kind of get a read for people and you can tell when people are a little bit antsy and, you know, God's working on them and they're working in their mind and, and you can tell he's talking to them and they're just this way. They won't move them feet because they're scared. And that's Satan saying, no, don't do it. Don't go. Don't go forward. Or people are, are saying, you know, well, people might say something if I go forward and say, I, I don't want to, or I've been a Christian a long time. People don't expect me to come. Hey, this is for anybody. You know what? After each message, um, each Sunday, I could probably find myself right down here. Because God is saying, hey, you need to live this week a little bit differently. So if you have anything on your mind, anything on your heart this morning, won't you come?